Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live in the flesh according to the flesh, have minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, and nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Uh, This morning in the news, uh, several bombs went off in parks across Japan. Uh, One person has been died and there are multiple uh, injuries. Uh, Three days of ceasefire in Syria uh, finished on Saturday night with more bombings and more gun battles. We walk past uh, injustice after injustice on the streets of Edinburgh, day after day and time after time. I don't know about you, but I am deeply aware of this world's need for a saviour. You don't have to push people very far. You don't have to ask them too many searching questions before uh, people with faith or without faith start to recognise there is something deeply broken, there is something deeply wrong, that something needs to happen and needs to change in this world, that the way that things are isn't the way that they were meant to be. This morning we are talking about Saviour and as we uh, look out and we read the news and we see the world and the culture and the things that happen around us and we recognise the brokenness and the damage and the destruction uh, within those places, we should be led first to reflect inwards and recognise the brokenness within each of us. Uh, The violence and the injustices that happen within each of us, day after day, moment after moment. As we look and we see a world that needs a saviour, we should look and see that within each of ourselves, we are desperately, desperately in need of a saviour. This morning we're looking at at saviour. Last week we talked about justice, about the need to treat people and places in a way that's consistent with how God views them. Do you know that our um, life of justice, our transformed living, uh, only takes uh, deep root and bears true fruit if we have a right understanding of God as Saviour. Uh, if we want to live uh, transformed lives that are full of justice and hope and grace and mercy, uh, then we're empowered to do that in a sustainable way because uh, we understand what it is to be saved by God's. 
Uh, Being saved by God is at the heart of our faith. Uh, It's the most uh, central part of it. Uh, If we removed um, our saving and our need of a saviour from our faith, we would have nothing left. Uh, This would all be uh, meaningless. It would all be pointless. It would all be about trying to do better and to be better. Uh, But our relationship with God, the way that we live at its root, uh, has an act of outrageous love, an act of deep grace. It has a saviour coming and stepping and walking in our place, taking our punishment, dying our death so that we could be in right relationship with God. Uh, our passage this morning is quite uh, complicated and a little bit dense. I, um, I have a, a stack of books on the side of my desk that I stole from Dave's office to help me try and understand it. I had a, a conversation with someone who has a, a PhD, um, and that was um, interesting, but I still didn't quite understand everything. And then I, um, I did what I always do when I've tried every other option. I, I called my twin brother. My, uh, my twin brother um, works for a church down in Wigan, and he, he is fantastically and fearlessly clever. He's, um, he, he's very clever, but being 26, obviously, like, like I am, um, that still means that we think that we have everything right. So that means that he can speak with the confidence and the certainty and the authority of a young man, which was, um, which was almost helpful for me. I don't know if you've spoken with someone who is um, far cleverer than you are, uh, I find that when I I talk with them, I leave knowing a whole load more stuff, but none of it really makes any sense. As he was talking, he explained, I I made copious notes um, and then looked back at them and I thought, ah, I wonder what he was really trying to say. Uh, This passage is uh, dense and it's complicated. Uh, It's a bit tricky, but at its heart is life and hope and restoration. It's really easy for us to make this um, text complicated and difficult. But at its heart, what it's trying to do is help us see who Jesus is and love him more deeply. So what we want to do this morning. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus and so love him more deeply. The aim this morning isn't that we leave with loads and loads of head knowledge that we, um, we can all leave thinking the right thing and knowing the right thing. But the aim is that we leave having glimpsed, having seen Jesus. Uh, and as we see Jesus, that causes worship to rise in us. That causes a a new and a transformed way of living. When we do that, that's when we know that we've not just heard about a saviour, but we've met him and he's changing the way that we live. So Paul is writing to the Romans. That much is very simple. Paul is writing to a church in Rome and the letter is called the Romans. He's writing to those people. And there's lots and lots of debate around exactly what the church in Rome is like. Uh, who it is that makes up the church. Uh, My brother gave me very, very good arguments for the church in Rome being made up entirely of Jews. And then the next breath, very, very good arguments for the church being made up entirely of Gentiles. That makes me think the the church in Rome probably had some Jews and some Gentiles. Uh, The Jews of that time, uh, when they heard Paul's writings, Paul's letter, would have uh, deeply understood what what it was that he was talking about. Uh, The Jews regarded themselves to be God's chosen people, uh, to be the ones that God was uh, expressing himself through to the world. Uh, That's the Jewish community. Uh, The Gentiles are the people who weren't born in Israel, who weren't born of the tribe of Israel. Uh, These are the people who will have always felt a little bit excluded, a bit on the margins. Uh, They've never really quite been in the crowd, in the tribe of Israel. Uh, And those two groups would have heard different things as this letter was read out to them in the church in Rome. 
let's, um, let's read the first uh, part together. Uh, it says this, Paul says in verse 21, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the spirit of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Uh, Paul is continually caught up in the same pattern of life. Uh, He's continually wanting to do the right thing. He says, I delight in God's law. Uh, He's wanting to live in the right way, in the right manner. Uh, But he continually finds himself uh, getting it wrong, making mistakes, not quite doing the things that he meant to do. Uh, Paul says that he delights in God's law. I don't know what your assumptions are when you hear someone talk about the law of God. Uh, In my mind, it immediately goes um, very heavy, very dark. It's all about um, tripping people up and catching people out and making mistakes. Uh, When I think about the law, I think about the Pharisees and the way they were always trying to undermine Jesus. Uh, But that's not uh, Paul's understanding of the law, and that's never been God's intention behind the law either. Uh, God's law is about uh, keeping God's chosen people in right relationship with him. God's law is about sustaining God's chosen people in right relationship with him. Uh, That's how uh, the Jewish community would have been made right, would have been made righteous by God, is by keeping the law of God. And that would sustain them in a relationship with him. Uh, The law isn't uh, about tripping people up and catching people out. The law is an act of great kindness and mercy that allows people to know and to be in a relationship with God. And yet Paul knows that. Paul delights in it. He knows that the law of God is good for him, that it makes a relationship with God possible. And yet he continually does the wrong thing. I wonder if you can relate to that. Continually trying to do one thing, trying to set about one course, one idea, but somehow things disintegrate and you go the wrong way. And it's a bit like you're fighting a battle, like there's a war, like there's two natures within you. And you never quite manage to do the right thing. Maybe you, uh, every year you set a new, uh, new Year's resolution and you decide that this will be the year that you will get the body that you deserve. And you will go to the gym and you will eat right and you will be healthy. But uh, you always, um, something happens and it all kind of falls apart down the road. And even though you had the best of intentions, uh, you couldn't quite follow it through. You couldn't quite work it out. In the Old Testament, there are 613 laws. That's 613 different ways to not quite manage to sustain a right relationship with God. 613 laws, 613 ways to not quite sustain a right relationship with God. And the problem is, is when you uh, try and keep 613 laws and you uh, continually um, uh, make mistakes and mess up, uh, that affects your relationship with God. It can pull you apart. You can feel like there's a war going on inside you, like there are two natures you are trying to pull in different directions. You can end up feeling like uh, you'll never be quite good enough, you'll never be quite right enough, you'll never be quite righteous enough. Is that how you feel this morning? Like you'll never quite be righteous enough for God, you'll never quite be in the right relationship with God that you long for. Like there's some kind of disconnect, there's some kind of disjoin between you and God. 
The Gentiles would have heard this uh, uh, passage in a different light, in a different uh, way and understanding. Uh, As they uh, hear Paul uh, talk about his struggles with the law and with the flesh, uh, they would have heard that as spectators. See, for the Gentiles, even if they had kept all 613 laws, they would never have been in right relationship with God. That was impossible for them. You see, because uh, to be in a right relationship with God, you had to be born of the tribe of Israel. And Gentiles were outsiders. Uh, They weren't in the right tribe. They weren't in the right family. That's like um, living in a world where only um, members of the cornfield family get to go to heaven. And we can, um, you you laugh, but I mean, hopefully they'll all be there, fingers crossed. But you can can try all you want to become a member of the cornfield family. Um, You can have um, facial reconstruction surgery so you can have the striking jawline. Uh, You can try and perfect your slightly modish hairstyle. You can uh, learn electric guitar. You can take an interest Um, uh, interest in fast cars, Uh, all of that's uh, all well and good, but you will never quite become a cornfield because you weren't born in the right family. The Gentiles weren't born in the right family. They weren't born in the right tribe. And so uh, no matter how hard they tried, no matter how hard they, they longed to, no matter how much work they put in, they would never make it into the tribe of Israel and into a right relationship with God. So they hear this text as outsiders. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're on the fringes. You feel like an outsider, like someone who lives their life on the margins, like you don't quite connect. Maybe you, you look around you and you think that everyone else is uh, walking around with a, a way of living and thinking and and doing their lives that you can't relate to that seems alien to you, Uh, no matter how hard you try, you'll never quite make it to the inside. What Paul is saying this morning is good news for you. It's good news for those of us who feel like we will never quite be right, that we'll continue to make mistakes, we'll continue to sin, we'll continue to fall short. It's good news for those of us who live our lives on the margins, who feel like we'll never quite fit, like will never quite be accepted. Paul continues in this letter. And he says, God sends his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That's dense, so I'll read it again. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So uh, the law was created uh, to sustain us in right relationship with God. All 613 laws were about sustaining us in right relationship with God, but, but we were unable to become righteous through the law because we were unable to keep the law. Uh, so what God did uh, is God poured his son out, uh, poured himself out into human flesh. Uh, God took on the form of the man uh, and he took on all the limitations of being human. He slept, he ate. Uh, He uh, got tired when he had to walk long distances. Uh, He made jokes that no one really laughed at, even though if Jesus made a joke empirically, it had to be funny, didn't it? But but people couldn't quite uh, work it out sometimes. Jesus became 
fully human. And as he became fully human and he walked our lives and he had our experience of this world, he did it by fulfilling the law. Jesus kept all 613 of the laws perfectly. There were moral laws and ceremonial laws, laws around keeping yourself clean and pure and laws around how you were to treat the people around you. Romans 13.10 says that love does no harm to a neighbour. Love is the fulfilment of the law. I'd always assumed that you had to kind of try hard to keep the law and that Jesus must have tried really, really hard to, to be good and to be right. Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus was just being loving. One of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not murder. If you love your neighbour, you don't need to think about not murdering them, do you? They can um, erect a very big um, hedge or an overhanging tree into your garden. They can scratch your car. But if you love them, you won't want to murder them. Uh, Jesus kept the law uh, as an act of supreme love. Jesus was supremely loving. And so he kept the law and he fulfilled it. And as Jesus lived the perfect life, uh, he took our place on the cross And as he took our place on the cross, he took on our sinful flesh. He took on the likeness of sin. He cloaked himself in our sinful nature. And that was crucified with Christ in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God's. God who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus becomes sin. He takes on sin. And as he do that, he takes the punishment of sin, the punishment that should have been ours, uh, in exchange for the, the sinful nature which Jesus takes from us. Instead, we get God's righteousness. We don't get a righteousness of our own doing. We don't get a righteousness of our own achieving, our own earning, but we get the righteousness of God. You can't get more right than that. You can't become more right than having God's righteousness. When you recognise that you have God's righteousness, that has to transform every single aspect of your life. Because when you've been made right with God through God's righteousness, uh, you don't have to try and earn his respect. You don't have to try and earn his love. You don't have to try and achieve anything because you have been made once and for all irreparably right with God. You have the righteousness of God now. He who, became, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God's. Jesus comes, he fulfills the law as an act of supreme love. He goes to the cross as an act of supreme love. He takes our sinfulness and instead gives us his righteousness. Often in the church, we let that be the entire story. We say that you were once sinful. Jesus took your sin. You have God's righteousness. Now go and sin no more. Uh, And we we finish it there. Uh, We talk about what we've been saved from. But we don't often talk about what we've been saved for. We talk about um, the depth of darkness and the depth of um, despair that we used to live in. But but we don't often talk about what is it that God saved you for. Uh, You have become the righteousness of God. Uh, Paul will go on in a few verses. uh, And in 8.14 he'll say that um, those who are led by the Spirit of God have become the children of God. 
So you took on God's righteousness and you were adopted into the family of God. You were adopted into the family of God. You became a son or a daughter of God. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that now uh, once conquered the grave through Jesus, now lives in each one of you. You have become the righteousness of God. You have entered into the family of God and you are full of the Spirit of God. That's a series of incredibly powerful and incredibly significant things to say. And yet, if you've accepted Jesus, then that's true for you today. If someone who was the righteousness of God, was a member of the family of God, and was full of the Spirit of God, if you saw them, what kind of life would you expect them to lead? What would you expect the fruit of their life to be? Paul says that um, those, who have, uh, those who are full of the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The Spirit desires love, peace, grace, kindness, self-control, patience. The Spirit of God brings mercy and grace and forgiveness wherever it goes. The Spirit of God brings justice wherever it goes. It treats people and places in a way that's consistent with the way that God views them and feels about them. Uh, Paul has been talking about uh, a war between two natures. Uh, now our sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. Uh, it's interesting to me that often um, I can resonate with the, the feeling that uh, there's a, a battle going on and I'm trying to, trying to suppress this um, old nature and this old way of living. But, but I believe that um, through Jesus that nature was crucified so why then do we continue to, to mess up? Why do we continue to live in a way that isn't consistent with how uh, God would have us live? Uh, James 1, 23 uh, says this, or from 22 onwards, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You see, uh, we have become the righteousness of God. We have the Spirit of God living inside each of us. And we are a member of God's family. I think that the reason that we don't often, um, or we don't always uh, live like we should, is because we're like people who've looked in a mirror, but have immediately forgotten what, we've look, what we look like. Uh, we forget uh, who it is that God's called us to be. We forget our true identity. Uh, we forget our true standing before God, that we have been made righteous by him. Uh, how would that transform your workplace? How would that transform your family? How would that transform your home? Uh, if, if when you um, looked in the mirror and you looked away, you didn't forget what it was that you looked like. If uh, on Wednesday morning you remembered that you are the righteousness of God in your workplace that you have the Spirit of God, that you are a member of God's family. Uh, are you uh, living in a way that embodies that, that makes that real? Uh, you are the mouthpiece for God in your workplace, in your home, in your family. Uh, God, by his miraculous power, uh, can work any which way he chooses, and yet he chooses to work through each of us here today. So will we start to live uh, knowing that we've been saved and not just knowing what we've been saved from, but what we've been saved to and for, that we, are, uh, we have become the righteousness of God, 
that we are members of God's family with all that that entails and that we have the Spirit of God, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave living inside each of us. Amen.